Great. Anyway, glad to be here. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about green coffee, the quality of uh, green coffee, and uh, you know what it takes to actually, let's say, secure a supply chain and uh, and access to good things. Um, I've been traveling in Europe for uh, for yeah, like uh, like I said, we've been up and running for 18 months. I've been traveling Europe to you know visit roasters, cup coffees with uh, clients and potential clients. Um, and uh, you know, for me as well, it's kind of a learning experience, uh, getting to know more specific kind of uh, details about how the different markets works. Uh, many countries are on very different levels in terms of uh, you know the, um, the quality coffee um, industry. So anyway, I'll try to I'll try to kind of share some of my thoughts regarding how I see the, the coffee scene today in terms of quality throughout Europe. I have some statements I want to start with. I think it's a, it's a great confusion um, in the industry in regards to what green coffee actually or green coffee quality is. You know, it's kind of, uh, there's many different segments in the market. Um, I think uh, I heard something uh, from uh, Joseph Rivera um, yesterday, and you know he was just like, "What is quality? Is it like how do you how do you determine quality? Is it like the number of defects? Is it uh, the sweetness of the coffee? Is it the specific flavor profiles?" Um, I don't know. I think if you ask coffee people, there will be many different answers uh, to the question. But I think it's it's still a problem that we are not like as a as an industry, we are not kind of, uh, uh, we are not um, totally um, agreed upon what's, what quality should be like. And that also kind of affects the way we are communicating quality throughout the, in the market. Um, and there's, uh, there's a lot of roasters and they, they claim they want quality or they want quality, but in the end, they, they can't always uh, justify the prices or they're not able to or willing to pay the cost of, of uh, great quality products. And uh, like I'm gonna get into later, you know, a great quality product, it kind of requires a lot of work, attention, and also investment from the, from the farmers. Um, and I think there's like way too much random bought coffee, so just like an, as an example, instead of working, you know, consistently throughout, like, or, you know, against one producer or against uh, a specific flavor attribute, there's a lot of roasters. They're cupping through, maybe, you know, hundred coffees, like random coffees, commercial coffees, whatever, to find that one or two or three coffees that kind of that year stand out on the table. But that's kind of that. That will mean that you will have inconsistency, inconsistency from year to year because it's not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily going to be great the next year. Um, I just you know searched the web um, 
upfront of this uh, when I kind of prepared my presentation, and I searched up, you know, specialty coffee. I searched uh, of expensive coffees, and uh, you know, this is what I'm getting. I mean, I have nothing against this, these products, you know, like every, every product have probably have a price, place in industry, but I think it's, you know, it's very confusing. It's confusing for the consumers, it's confusing for retailers, roasters, when, you know, this is the first picks that are shown up when you're, when you're kind of looking up quality or specialty or expensive coffees or whatever. And uh, I mean, to be honest, this, I mean, this has nothing to do with what we are kind of trying to, um, you know, achieve uh, in regards to quality. Um, I think it was uh, Tim, uh, Tim Mendelbo or James Hoffman during NBC Nordic Barista Cup a year ago. They said, you know, we've been coming a long way in regards of refining our brewing methods. We're kind of we're pretty good on roasting, you know, roasting profiles, everything, and it's it's about time we start to work on the green coffee quality. Um, and I think there's like very few roasters I know that are you know working, let's say, um, as uh, working the same way in regards to how they source their coffee or where they source their coffee. They're not going into the same level of details or let's say nerdiness as they do on kind of roasting and brewing. And I can just take an example, like I have a friend who's, uh, who's he's a great roaster. He might start up his own business and you know, what, he, what, he, what he wanted to do was to start with a, with a Loring. I think Loring is a great machine, but you know, starting up as a small roaster with an expensive machine, it kind of, I just asked, okay, so what's in your budget? What's left for the greens? And he said, basically nothing. Um, I think that's kind of a, that's, that's, that's problematic. And you know, so he want to invest in a roaster. He knows he's going to get the great product from that roaster, but he can't afford to have great product, products to put into the roaster, which is kind of a, yeah. So, you know, it's the chicken and the egg, but uh, anyway. And then I think regarding the confusion in the market, you know, specialty, what is specialty and what is quality? And uh, I kind of don't like to use the term specialty anymore because it's, uh, it's, I feel it's watered out. It doesn't really mean anything, um, and it's it's kind of it's fine. It's used by you know all kind of levels in the industry, which is good. But it doesn't really tell you anything. If you talk to like a producer uh, about specialty, he have like one, uh, you know, maybe he thinks it's something that scores above 84, 85 uh, points when you are cupping a coffee and is scoring, you know, the attributes. But then you can talk to a roaster and he think it's just something that is, you know, better than what he com his competitors do. But it doesn't really, it doesn't really tell you anything. And, uh, you know, so it seems like specialty has been kind of the new term for good commercial coffee, you know, coffee that could be traded on a regular basis, doesn't have, doesn't need to have specific attributes, doesn't need to have, you know, like traceability. It's not maybe consistently produced or grown. Um, and, and, and again, it's really confusing. And I just looked into the website and it says specialty coffee is defined in a limited marketplace at a given time um, to have a unique quality and distinct taste and personality different from and superior to the common coffee beverages offered. Meaning, let's say you are in a market where there's like a lot of defects um, in general 
you can still then you can still consider a very unripe sour coffee as specialty just because it will be cleaner than the one that has you know a lot of phenolic flavors or fermented flavors or whatever um, but again that kind of that 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 kind of makes you know the gap between what we are referring to as quality and specialty it's kind of high and it's 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 confusing for for the consumers on the market so what so what we are trying to do like i mean we want to go beyond that um and try to prove you know there is if you really want to work with unique and great products there is you have to step up a little bit um and like I said, I mean, we like to buy coffees and flavors that we believe in. And, you know, these coffees are great not because they're randomly picked. They're great because we try to work, you know, find producers that are doing improved preparations and stuff. So at least to kind of, uh, to kind of um, uh, pass through our kind of standards and criterias, First of all, it has to be traceable, fully traceable. And why is that? That's because, you know, if you buy a coffee this year, that's great. You probably want it back next year as a great one. And if you don't know where it's from, uh, I can take an example like uh, Ethiopia, for instance. There is so many different microregions. Every microregions have their own, um, you know, bean varietals, things like that. And if I just one year buy a coffee that is great, if I don't know, know where it's from, I can't access that coffee next year. And I can't even promise my clients, you know, that they will have that, that quality or that coffee back. Um, it needs flavor uniqueness. And with flavor uniqueness, I'm talking about something that makes it, you know, great according to where it's grown, the varietal stuff like that. It's not, it's not just great because it's clean and, you know, like randomly sweet or whatever and with no defects. It's great because it have it have um, a complexity and a personality that make it stand out from the rest of the coffees for, from, let's say, Colombia. You know, Colombia can have great coffees, but it's not great coffees just because it's from a region. It's great coffee maybe because it's from a group of growers that have a specific altitude, good varietals. They have a philosophy in regards to how they treat their, their plants. Um, and then, of course, improved preparation at origin. Um, I'm getting back to that, but if you do you want to produce quality? It costs a lot of money, basically because you have to invest in your, in the way you are picking the coffee, in the way you're processing the coffee, drying. It requires a lot of attention and, and, uh, and investment. So the European coffee scene today. I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking Europe in general, um, but of course there is like big difference from countries to countries. Some countries have come far. Um, I feel I'm, I'm fortunate, I'm, I'm lucky because I'm, I'm from, you know, I started my career in Norway. Uh, we started pretty early in the, in the specialty industry. Um, you know, I think it picked up like early 2000. Um, and since then it's, it's been kind of, we have managed to educate the market pretty well. There's still a long way to go and it's a lot of things to do, but, but you know, compared to countries where, where you know, the, the, the quality segment, the high-end segment is just starting, it's, it's a huge big difference. But anyway, I see there's, a, there's, there's similarities and, and there's a lot of mechanisms that are the same. This is something I kind of 
see very often when I'm traveling around with my, you know, with my coffees or cupping coffees with other other roasters and, and clients. You know, it's a kind of a mismatch between what the roasters are into and what the market retailers and the consumers are into. Um, and you know, I hear this very very often, but I also see that you know the roasters that are, you know. It's not always it's not always the truth. If you're a roaster and if you take the chance, you know, sometimes that's that's necessary and it kind of makes you stand out from the crowd. And I think in many cases people are too afraid of, you know, taking those risks. I know it's challenging. I know there it can be, you know, it can be um, uh, it's expensive coffees and you're you have to make your margins and stuff. But there's a different way to look at it. And I think what we did in Norway many years back, you know, we had some of these coffees. We, we basically had like a marketing budget to, uh, let's say, to, um, to uh, justify buying coffees where we didn't normally necessarily make the margins to begin with. Uh, but at least we kind of got them into the marketplace, got them introduced. And it didn't actually take that long before it kind of um, was accepted by the by the retailers and consumers uh, and it was exactly the same thing there you know ah oh, the acidity level is too high they don't like that kind of flavors but they do it's just that they have to be exposed for for it the other thing is that i see commercial coffees are kind of sold and branded as specialty um, and that's also you know i know in some cases, it's necessary to do a little bit of both. Maybe you need to, you know, differentiate your portfolio of coffees and say, okay, this is, we need these coffees to kind of where we can make some margins, and then we can, you know, spend some other, you know, some of the the margins we're doing on buying better coffee and introduce them to the market. But still, I think it's it's uh, it's a pity as well, you know, because since the in some countries the the kind of benchmark is so low, there's like defective coffees or everything. So you can just, uh, you can look, or you, it seems like you can stand out from the crowd just by buying decent commercial. Um, it can be traceable, but it's not necessarily great because it's traceable. You can buy a lot of commercial traceable coffees, right? But then you put a tag on it, uh, you put maybe like a story behind it, you serve it in a, in a coffee shop as something unique. And in the end, uh, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice and you know then there's a few roasters that are taking you know that are really working hard uh, and are sacrificing um, to introduce the coffees for the market and then there's others tagging along they're putting kind of the same story behind it but it's and making better margins but it's not it's not uh, it's still not great coffees and I would like to see so much more of this blind cupping because you know, that's, I think like every roaster who kind of feel that they have something to, you know, um, that they have great coffees they want to introduce to the market. If they just, you know, take the chances doing blind cuppings, you know, towards your competitors or towards, you know, when you're getting green coffee in from the different uh, suppliers you use, just put them on the table as blind. Um, and I've been embarrassed so many times myself, you know, with my own products, with, you know, but I think it's great. And every time I'm kind of, I'm doing it and I feel like, Jesus, is this was what, what uh, my coffee is like, you know, I just want to get better. And I think what we did like in Norway as well, you know, we started to blind cup.
Good? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we started to blind cope with the retailers and even them, you know, they thought they wanted like a, maybe an Indian or a Brazilian, whatever. And then when you put them on the table with a lot of other coffees, they're like, this is not my coffee, no way. Um, and you know, they also see that they kind of are into other things. Um, and I think this is like, uh, even for us now, it's a super important tool, you know, to be sure that, okay, we like this grower, we've been working in, with him for, for some years, but still we have to put it up on the table with a lot of other coffees to be sure that the quality is there and it's, it's uh, competitive in the market. So, to the point, I mean, great greens comes with another cost. I mean, there is no way around it. Like I say, you can shop around for a while. You can try to, you know, get a, a, a coffee that are, for some, you know, some random reasons are cupping great this, uh, this year, but it won't necessarily be great next year. And I think Cup of Excellence is a great um, example of that, you know. I have been, I'm a, I'm a great fan of the Cup of Excellence system. I think it's been like fantastic for the industry. It managed to kind of build, you know, bridges between growers and roasters and things like that. But what we see in, 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 the, in the Cup of Excellence auctions is that there's some roasters, they can be the winners, you know, one year. No, some, sorry, some, um, some producers, they can be the winner one year, uh, but they don't know why the coffee was that great. And the next year, they're not even getting to the kind of final, final cupping. Um, and then you have other growers and producers again that are, you know, on a high level or they're, they're kind of on top five or top 10 every year because they do have an improved preparation. But when you visit those farms, you can also see that they have invested. They have invested a lot of money. They have invested in good systems. They have invested um, in great management. So why? Do great coffee cost more? Um, you know, there's like a lot of steps uh, from a cherry to a great final product. Uh, and I can't go into detail on all, on all of them. But you know, we start with the picking. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people running around, you know, you visit a farmer and he says, I'll buy all your coffee, but you have to pick only ripe cherries. It's not that simple. It's, it's hard. First of all, it's hard work. It's difficult to see what cherries are actually ripe or not. There's like different varietals that are, have different colors. It can, be, it can look ripe from the, you know, from the front. It can be very green in the back. Um, and it's a skill. And it's also an added cost because, first of all, maybe sometimes the pickers on your farm or the farmers, if you're in Africa, for instance, where there's a cooperative, you know, they, if they're going to do better picking, it takes more time and they want higher salaries or they want more pay for the coffee. That's number one. Second, normally coffee matures in different stages on the, on the trees. So if you're going to do ripe cherries only, you have to go through and pick, you know, three, four times. You have to pick the same tree three, four times. It's labor dense. In most places in the world, I mean, I'm talking about the general, uh, uh, you know, trade of commercials, they strip it. Maybe they go two times, but very often they strip it. So they will have ripes, unripes, semi-ripes, overripes, uh, fungus, uh, fungus, everything. There is ways you can start sorting it in, in, you know, after the picking. But still, I mean, this is kind of the first step to quality. And it costs money. So depends on where you are. But let's say 60 cents added per kg just to pick ripe cherries. Even when you pick only the ripe cherries, it's not 100%. So then you have to do sorting. 
depends on where you are. You know, this is a picker on a farm in Central America. That is, she's a worker, she's getting paid, so she take whatever she kind of picked that day, she put it on the ground, she, you know, pick out the overripes, underripes. Like in Africa, for instance, it's so hard to control the small farmers because, you, you know, there can be like 300 farmers delivering cherry to a wet mill. So there you need staff. You need staff to sit there or to stand there, sort out all the unripes, overripes, um, before it goes into production. And then you have the actual processing. This equipment, it's old, but it still needs, you know, you have to invest new disks or you have to sharpen your disks. Uh, and it's very many times of pulpers. This is a disk pulper, a traditional disk pulper that they use in Africa. Um, and to operate these machines, you need good stuff. You know, you need trained staff. Um, in many countries now, the salaries the, for employment are starting to increase. So if you want good stuff, you actually have to pay for it. It doesn't come for free. This is from Honduras, from um, some farmers we work with in Marcala. It's really difficult cli climate there. Uh, we have, you know, bad experience with coffees from, from that area. They're aging quickly because it's humid, it's hot, coffees are dried too fast, things like that. Okay, so for them to be able to, to, um, to meet our standards, they have to invest again. So experimenting now, building, first of all, drying tables, because in Central America and in these places, they're normally doing coffees dried on patio. Uh, so they're investing in drying tables. We have some different setups here. One is kind of a, like a greenhouse thing where they have, it's covered like uh, totally um, uh, in terms of rain and stuff like that. But you can see there's a lot of uh, access for air going through. So there's good ventilation. Um, we have another setup where they can do kind of shading so we can extend the drying. Uh, we do believe that this helps, especially for the aging um, aging um, uh, things on the coffee. I mean, they, some of these coffees we have experience with their, their actually landing age. We buy them, it goes two months uh, from we contract the coffee until it arrives. And even at arrival, they, you can start to pick up, you know, aged flavors. Um, and this really helps. And then everybody want micro lots. Everybody want to, you know, sort, uh, separate the daily pickings, separate the varietals, whatever. Doesn't come for free either. You need a lot of, you know, you need a lot of infrastructure to do that. You need more fermentation tanks, more drying beds, uh, you know, to be able to keep them separate throughout the whole chain. And you need traceability systems. Again, you have to train your employees to, you know, do proper logging. Cost money. And then when you're, I mean, when you're done with the process at the farms, I won't say you're halfway, but you can do a perfect job at the farm, do everything properly and correct, but there's no guarantee still that the coffee will land in good condition in, our con in, in, in consumer countries. So you still need like a great preparation after it's taken from the farms in parchment to a warehouse to be milled, you need to invest there as well. You need good traceability systems because it's very easy to mix up coffees when you have like a big warehouse, a lot of micro lots there can very easily be mixed up. You need 
good equipment for dry milling because they can go hot. Again, it will affect the quality of the, of the coffee. You need good sorting machines. Sometimes we take the coffee through the gravity tables two or three times just to make sure to you know, get them separated by density. Everything in the end have to be hand sorted. We're not doing anything that are not hand sorted. I mean, I wish there was like good enough machines, but you know, still there is very good color sorters. I think color sorters are great, but even when you have the best color sorters, you still need to take it through a hand picking um, session to make sure that you take everything out. And you can see this is, this is not cheap either, these kind of operations. So, I just want to show you this, you know, not going into details here, but this was, I talked to one of my Rwandan producers last year and asked him, what does it, you know, I'm saying I want this, I want that, I want you to do this and that and blah, 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 uh, because that's, that's how you kind of get better, better qualities. And I, but I'm, in the end I asked him, what does it actually cost? And he give, gave me a breakdown. You know, cherry prices, including his sorting when they arrive at the wet mill, everything. It's 375 US dollars per kg. Um, you know, that's like three times the market price today, I think, for green coffee. Operations at wet mill, when he's investing in his staff, in equipment, in infrastructure, it's an average of 0.7 US dollars per kg. Then you have the dry milling. He's paying the dry millers, the exporters, an additional fee to make sure that everything is done properly. Production cost? Four ninety US dollar per kg. If you look at the market price in Rwanda, not for the low commercials, but for the you know the good quality fully washed today. Best case, it will be four thirty. You know they can be sold at everything from plus fifty, sixty. This is like the how the market works. But you can they can be sold at plus fifty cents uh, cents per pound up to like, if you buy, if you pay normally like 100 cents per pound as a premium, it's great. But still, it doesn't cover his production cost if he's, if he's gonna do my improved preparation, um, which is unfortunate. So, you know, what we have to do to be able to maintain that quality level with our producers, with our, you know, our partners in the region, we have to give economic incentives if not, there is no way they can continue on a sustainable level to do increased quality preparation. And you know, I just have to say that the market today, it's, I talk, I've talked to some roasters and you know, they say it's great because the market is down so I can buy more cheap coffee. But that's, for me, it's like really unfortunate. It really affects the growers, it really affects quality for sure you know how can you ask a farmer now to do increased quality preparation if he doesn't have like a partner where he that he knows will pay up for it every year there is no way you can risk the investment you know for the future even financing if you go to producing countries there's a lot of countries like in Africa you need pre-financing you know to be able to buy cherries but the banks now there's no way they can access that finance because it's too tough even for the banks, the market is so volatile, it's hard. So I think, you know, we all have to, as an industry, we all have to work together to get the prices at the consumer level up. 
if we want great quality in the market, when the market is this volatile, you need to, you know, to get the consumers to pay a higher price if you want a premium there. And that's why I think it's challenging and difficult when people are putting coffees that are not you know, up to the standard into the market and sell them a specialty because you know, the consumers, they will not you know, get used to or be kind of educated in what is in the, you know, according to the necessary quality level um, needed. So that's why I think it's so important for us to be transparent. We even, you know, we can tell our clients what we pay for the coffee because we want to showcase that great coffee, it's, it's about paying, you know, the producers a better price. That's the only way they can sustainably, um, have a sustainable quality oriented production going. Okay, thanks. That's it. Uh, there we go. That was fantastic. Please Thanks. take a seat. It's uh, time to chill and relax. Here. Yeah. Sorry about the technical issues. I think you uh, overcame them. <laughs> Tempting fate. Uh, that was really interesting. I'm probably going to ask less questions for this one, I think. This is definitely your field of uh, expertise. I, no, I, I, I felt it was really interesting. I kind of got lots of questions from there. Uh, particularly the part you're saying at the end about like the people roaster saying the market's down and this is oh it's great I can buy. and I've heard those same conversations and I'm kind of going y you know what the market price is yeah. why <laughs> you know, it's, um, but I want to talk about the other side of the coin what happens like I remember two three years ago when the market was at you know three five three ten and it was the first time I was getting producers talk to me about market prices you know oh well, you you paid us like a dollar fifty above market last time no we we just paid you you know a great price for a great coffee why are we talking price do you think it's a two-way street do you think that there's there's a, an argument to be had about like having consistent pricing for the roasters and for importers long term uh, looking at the cost of production and then the premium on top yeah i mean i i think that's uh, the the way to go but uh well yeah um but of course, I had that experience as well. You know, when the market is high, uh, the producers want even more because they want the premium on top of that. And when the market gets low, um, of course, they want the same. You know, the same because they have to cover their production cost. Um, and you know, some of them might you know forget the history. Um, but I would say, in general, when you work with you know, it's it's about the, the dialogue with the producers as well, and try to build that kind of. Uh, uh, like you say, the the culture or and the long-term thing where you're you have a pr production cost that won't necessarily always go up and down with market. In some cases, it does because if you're in Africa and you're buying cherries, you know the cherry prices can also be affected by you know like a, a low market price on coffee. But um, yeah, I would say it's it's about you know it's a two-way communication and like I said, I think it's super important for for the producers to be you know look at your production cost. And you know what do you need uh, as a margin to have like a sustainable business going, and that's where the market, you know, the the prices should be. I think I think it's also important as well as where producers can add value to their product. And yes, you reward that financially, but looking for ways for uh, quality to be added at origin. So different preparation methods, varietal work, and making sure that you pay on the back of that too. It's amazing those long-term relationships that are good. They do have long memories, and the short-term 
one. You, it's a good way of finding out where the relationships are, so I think, with the markets going up and down, for sure. We yeah. hear a lot about um, what we can do to affect quality in the green coffee itself in terms of raised beds or you know, processing techniques or uh, fermentation, things like that. It doesn't seem as sexy to talk about logistical management and uh, process. And is there much help for farmers at origin um, for them to improve the workflow of how they do things? And we, like I know from working in kitchens or working in bars, you can do the same task many different ways in many different lengths of time. So what sort of help farmers get to help them do things logistically better? And is that something that you try to engage them with? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a challenge, to be honest. Uh, it really depends on the, on the origin, of course, because, you know, like working in, uh, for instance, Guatemala um, compared to Rwanda, it's like a very different setup. But let's go, if you go into the more complex uh, origins, like in Africa, um, we, we try to work with, you know, sometimes we work through organizations or uh, private or NGOs that are, that have some kind of programs that can have an impact on, you know, the infrastructure and like I say, how the farmers work. But I still think it's a, you know, it's a new, let's say it's a new era in coffee. I think it's, it's so new that there, there's a lot of these things that we kind of are concerned about now. There wasn't like, it wasn't, People didn't ask, you know, the or didn't see the, the challenge in the same way before. You know, like when there was no micro loss, there's a totally different infrastructure than what it is today when you're going to separate everything and uh, stuff like that. But uh, we try to work through organizations like in Africa with TechnoServe. We have some private organizations that are, you know, helping the farmers at farm level, uh, helping them with everything from inputs, pruning techniques, all these things that we see are necessary. And of course, I think, you know, the exporters are very often forgotten. You talk about, like you say, you talk about the process and all the sexy stuff and the drying, but in the end you need, you know, a good exporter or a good uh, dry miller to, you know, to make sure the quality stays throughout the whole chain of operations. And, and talking about, uh, you, you said there about countries and the different processes, how every country has a, a different way of dealing with it. Is there somewhere that you find particularly challenging to export from? Is there somewhere that is, just stands out as that place that's really tough? Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, there is, I mean, there is no secret that, for instance, Ethiopia is, uh, is kind of more challenging than some other origins. Uh, you know, actually we have here in the, we have one of our uh, Ethiopian exporters and we have one of our Salvadoran and, exporters. And, and one of the speakers of last year's Tampa Tantrum as well. Yeah. So, but you know, there is like the the structure is so different uh, the way the way the country works. So, yes, I would say Ethiopia is complicated because uh, it's very spread out. It's uh, the industry is also, you know, slightly fragmented. But on the other hand, it's one of the at least one of my favorite regions. The coffees there are amazing. So, yeah. I think um, what I find really exciting about your talk is that it's the first time I've seen somebody talk about green coffee and mention the words profit and margins. And I get the feeling that we as an industry are starting to grow up a little bit. We've kind of like, we've been working along, trying to make things better, having some good parties, meeting in nice cities. And everybody's kind of go, okay, we, can, we need to make this work now. Yep. And you're discussing margins at green level. And then you spoke as well about engaging your, your end users, your customers at cafes about increasing prices for end users. And I know we do a lot of work talking to our wholesale customers about their margins and at what price they're charging for coffee. 
how are you received when you start talking to people about that sort of stuff? Uh, it depends. It totally depends on the client. Um, but you know, it's like I said. I think you know, every roaster he wants as great coffee as as possible. And of course, the the preferences will be different. And maybe a great coffee for me is not like great for them. Um, but uh, I don't. I, I mean, I. I, th I mean, I think what, what I've seen in terms of at least our transparency model and uh, how we try to, you know, showcase what, you know, the costs are, we've got like really good uh, response to that. But, you know, we are also meeting roasters that just say, this is ridiculous and are you insane, you know, because it's just like a, it's a different world of, uh, of coffee, but yeah. But that's the way it's going, is that like, um, like, we see more and more cafes that are selling coffee by the price depending on what sort of coffee they're using which is it's sustainable it's not like you go into a lot of cafes up until now and you'd see you'd know they'd pay different prices for all these coffees but they're all two euro fifty or three euro and it's not sustainable to buy things at different prices and charge the same for them so i think it's an important message to get across to people and i think what we're seeing more and more is that customers are receptive to it it's how they buy wine it's how they buy cheese it's how they buy beer how they buy everything and then until now we've been selling them coffee that's cost us different amounts of money and said it's all the same price it's yeah, fine yeah. i hope you like it yeah exactly <laughs> and this one's not so much a question more like a comment on what you said about uh customers uh saying oh my, my customers won't get this it's like i kind of look at that and go what your customers don't like delicious is yeah. that why they come to you you know you think it's amazing yeah. but they won't get it it's I find that such a strange thing to get my head around. True. Um, it, really is, it, it really is quite crazy. Yeah, um, and, and uh, I also have a comment to that because, uh, you know, you, we, we go around to roasters and they, they ask us, you know, how can, I, how can I sell more? How can I get better? You just have to, you know, you have to find coffees that are standing out from the crowd. Coffees you believe in yourself because if you truly believe it, I think it's much easier to sell it. And you just have to buy better coffees, I think, you know, on the one hand, you're complaining of the clients kind of don't accept your, your, your coffees, but, and then when you're buying, if you go into the market, you know, buying exactly the same as your competitors uh, and the other roasters, it's more difficult than if you have the guts to, you know, showcase yourself as a kind of a slightly different player in the market, so. I kind of, I'm asking the question of somebody I think I know the answer will come from, but how do you feel about the people that kind of get behind the whole direct trade thing and, kind of skew the message a little bit, you know, and we, we, we see it in the industry all the time of, of people talking about how they source their coffee. Yeah. Like, personally, I, I don't care how you source your coffee. Is it delicious? Is it lovely? But, I mean, how do you feel about those? Um, actually, when I, when I made this presentation, I had, like, some, some things on direct trade there, but I, I think it's, you know, it's a complex, uh, it's a complex uh, topic, but... Uh, in general, I think the, you know the good thing with uh, like direct trade is like okay, we showcase that coffee should be traceable um, and things like that. But it's not necessarily good because it's direct trade. You know, it's 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 more than a handshake. Uh, it takes more than a handshake to actually access good coffee. And I think there's like uh, there's there's different. Seems like there's different uh, you know uh, standards for direct trade. First of all, uh, you know and. Uh, so I, I mean, I think it's it doesn't help for quality. Uh, I think it can be a good message to send out, but it, it uh, I think, like you say, you know, try to find coffees you believe in, try to find great coffees. 
it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, going back to the pricing point, um, I know that Tim publishes his prices at, uh, that he's paid at the end of the year, and I know that Kent Culture do the same in, in the US, and you're talking there about prices that you're paying. I think uh, Coffee Collective are going to start putting the price they paid per pound on the bags, yep. actually on the labels on the front, which I think is really exciting. Like, at what point, like, do, do, how do we make that get through to the consumer what it means? Because if if somebody sees that Tim paid five dollars a pound for a, a Brazilian coffee, like the consumer might not. Why did you pay a dollar less for that than you did the Kenyan? Like, yeah. I don't know how we get it in the context. Have you any ideas on that that we can get, engage the customer in that? Uh, I think it's it's very difficult. But I think you know if you have a, a industry that is more you know trying to go target you know the same goals and go in the same direction what we need is you know we need more press take wine for instance at least in norway you know take yeah. Wine, yeah yeah take wine yeah <laughs> no but in norway like uh, let's say 10 years ago people were talking about red wine and white wine but you know i it, it seems like the industry in norway in the, in the wine industry they kind of they were really focused on getting the message out there so there was it's now now it's like every second day there's a, you know an article on wine in the newspapers you know so the consumers are much more educated. They know there is like different producer philosophies, different pricing uh, kind of levels, everything. We just need the same with coffee, but I think if everybody's, you know, just like holding back a little and don't kind of have the, don't take the step, steps up to differentiate themselves, it's hard, harder to get press, you know? So I think, you know, get more publicity, more press, the consumers will be more educated and be transparent and open, uh, yeah. Can I ask a, maybe a potentially difficult question? Yeah. So in Norway, how many shops are charging prices per cup that you think are appropriate? Charging prices per cup. So like, do you think most coffee shops in Norway are charging too little for coffee? Or you think they're charging just right for coffee? Or? Uh, to be honest, I think they're charging too low prices for coffee. Oh. Yeah, still. Um, it's hard for me to understand that because when I go to Norway, everything seems so expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the context but of Norway, it's, yeah, you think yeah. they're under, still charging too little. But I mean, to be honest, I mean, there, there is Norway is an expensive country, and especially you know employment and all these things. But you know, there, there is not really big differences if you go to a quality coffee shop retailer in Norway and buy a cup of coffee or a bag of coffee. It's not really big differences from from uh, what it is what I see in you know in London or even in the States. Um, Okay, so um, this year we, we have uh, sponsor, sponsors from Breville who are sponsoring some online questions and we've had some online questions come in for you from the presentation. So um, we are going to go through the screens. Uh, we, we're not gonna have any more technical issues at all. Um, okay, maybe we will. Uh, so the first question I hate computers. <laughs> ah, here we go. Uh, we just have a pink screen. We might take some questions from the audience as yeah. well. Has anybody got any questions who's just been watching while we're waiting for that to load up, please? Come on, someone's asked a question. <sighs> Yay. Yes, here we go. How do you go about 
How do you go about handling uh, working together with a farm where you can't take all what he is harvesting? You you improve his techniques, you improve his processing, but with what divide do you uh, purchase the coffee and what goes to other uh, traders or uh, exporters? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so, so you're asking, right, if you work with a farmer and uh, you do lot separation, you're asking, you know, what parts of the, the production you have I'm buying and what is going to, uh, you know, that, that really depends on, uh, on the farmer. Um, but in, you know, we are still a small company and uh, hopefully we will grow with the farmers. But at this point, we normally do, you know, kind of smaller selections. Uh, but that's also in communication with the farmer. So no, there's like very few farms where we're buying, you know, the total amounts they're producing. Um, and actually, you know, sometimes the farmer asks us, do you want like total exclusivity for this coffee? And we say, no, we don't want it. Even for a good prep, you know, they, they should be able to sell it maybe in a different market, whatever, because as long as we can't, you know, buy it all, um, I don't think we're in the right of, you know, having exclusivity. But. Uh, I mean, the goal, of course, is to, to work in partnership with the farmers, the producers, so we can buy a bigger portion of, of the, at least the quality preparations they're doing. But it's tough, yeah. That's great, thank you. So, as I was saying, we have Breville's uh, sponsored online questions of Ask the Expert. And the question that's coming for you... Ah, there we go. So, what is... The Nordic approach and how is it different from every other approach to green coffee sourcing from Dana Ritchie in the USA? Richard. So what is the Nordic approach? Um, you know, first of all, I think we have, or at least I like to think that we have, you know, kind of a specific taste. So I know, um, first of all, I think we are kind of maybe a little more acidity driven than, you know, some other markets. But, you know, I think personally as well, we do have, uh, I do have, I know what I'm looking for in the coffee. I'm looking for, let's say, more the kind of brighter, fruit driven, acidity driven, kind of very transparent coffees rather than the heavy, rich, uh, big bowl coffee. So, I mean, that's one thing, you know, the flavor profiles we're, we're actually targeting. Um, but I think also, you know, like what we like to do is to, like we've been talking now, you know, have kind of work consistently more on the ground with the producers, try to be present. We now have like a, um, a guy working with us in Ethiopia that will be, you know, like six months a year on the ground to actually follow up. Um, and I think, you know, try to be more systematic, not only visit the farmer, you know, one time a year and say, okay, I'm gonna buy this much coffee from you and uh, you should do this, 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 and this, and then you leave, and then you, you, you know, you kind of hope, I, I, hope for the best. I, I think, think that kind of approach, work. well, that approach can work, I think, in Central South America, far more than it can in Africa, where you need those feet on the ground, exactly. you know, to be there. Because it's, uh, it's a very different market. To yes, buy in, buy in Africa and that's why we're also focusing more on Africa. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's a good question. I like that one. Yeah. Our next question is: Why do Nor Nordic people drink more coffee than everybody else? And that's from Francesco Concertina, also in the USA. So, what, why why do you think Nords drink more coffee than the average person? To be honest, I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
No, I think it's part of, you know, there's like some stories about the history where we were trading goods with Brazil and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I think it's a mix of, you know, some history, you know, some kind of uh, the industry developed at one point. Uh, maybe, the, you know, the cold. It was also uh, kind of um, a cultural kind of thing related to religion with uh, the churches and stuff like that. So I think it's just can a mix. I, can I give you my take on it? Yeah. Because I think you have better coffee. Thank so, you, maybe. Right now, I mean, I've travelled a lot, you know, I've travelled a lot around the Nordic countries and the lower level is, is better. So if your lower level is better, yeah. everybody's going to want to drink more because it's tastier. So. Good. But the fact is actually that, you know, the, for the commercial kind of, um, let's say, the supermarket uh, level of coffees, I mean, very good level there as well, to be honest, compared to many. But it seems like that kind of, they don't have increase anymore. Actually, it seems like they're decreasing a, a little bit. But then you have the specialty kind of a high-end um, uh, segment, which is growing, so yeah. And I think there's an appreciation of the, the quality coffee, definitely, in my experience of Denmark and uh, Norway and uh, of Iceland, I kind of saw that. So yeah. our next question is, what makes coffee, what makes a coffee special? From Jim Greenwich of USA. So what so makes a coffee That kind of links into what you were saying at the start about different people have different perceptions of what quality is. Yeah. So what, 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 what's quality to you? To me, quality is, you know, a coffee has to be exceptional in terms of the growing conditions it has, you know, the varietal it is, and the processing method. So a coffee is not special just because it's a Colombian. But a Colombian coffee can be special if you have, you know, a farmer that have a philosophy. He have trees in a certain area where there's like a specific kind of soil type, there is a specific climate. And you know, when you take out that potential to a max, that's when you find like a great copy, uh, in my opinion. That's fantastic. That's I think uh, we can all put our hands together for a fantastic performance. Please, big round of applause for Morton from Nordic Approach. Thank you. Thank you.